okay, way back in the days when beer was called microbrew. Alrighty, well, welcome to our Humble Beer Podcast. Um, I'm Chris Hill. I'm DJ Loop. And uh, with us today we have Ratchet. Ratchet, if you want to introduce yourself real quick. Hey, y'all. Uh, I'm Ratchet. <laughs> <laughs> that works. I had that nickname before with slang, so all the kids that are using it as a slang can get off my lawn. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. I'm not very familiar with it. 93, I don't know. Yeah. Those kids can get off my lawn. Have you, have, is there a story behind the name? Yeah, but we don't have a couple hours and a fifth of, gin, a fifth of bourbon to go into. So let's just say I've had the nickname since 93. Awesome. Since 93, that's, that's, that's awesome. Good. It's li- yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Well, we're here with Ratchet today. We're actually at Flow Brew Parlor down here in Knoxville, Tennessee. Give it up. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Thank you. For being such a wonderful Thank host you. for us today. Um, and we're just down here talking with Ratchet. We're going to get to know a little bit about his history, a little bit about what he's done in the past. Um, I like beer. He likes beer. He's very recognizable in the yeah, Knoxville brew yeah. scene. So we're just going to talk more about that. And yeah, I'll let, let DJ take it away. So Ratchet, what's what's your history here in Knoxville with the um, in the, in the um, brew scene? What is your where um, was you get started? Just I mean, start from the beginning as we're start always saying. Okay, way back in the days when beer was <laughs> called microbrew. Okay, all right. So seriously, I grew up in Florida. Um, where I when I grew up, that period of time, we didn't have Cigar City. We didn't have this. We didn't have that. And where I grew up was a very diverse, um, culturally diverse place. Um, I went to school with all the races. I hung out in the with kids from the project when I was older and in high school you know everybody drank malt liquor because that's what you drank when you hung out with your friends in the projects well I didn't actually start drinking until I got out of high school um had my own place was drinking 40s well we didn't have 40s some stupid beer law we had like 38.34s or something (laughs) you know of of such malt liquor because hey it was cheap and that's what you drank was that in the state of Tennessee no that was way back I'm talking way back Way back in time. But uh, then I just remember getting all super excited because Mickey's came into town. We're like, oh, an Irish beer. And so we all drank Mickey's because that's what you drink. And, of course, it tasted horrible. So you would – my trick was I'd have a bag of potato chips. I would take a couple of swigs off my beer, stuff my mouth full of potato chips because you had to suffer through the beer. Um, fast forward till later on, uh, I met up with some friends and – a lot of these kids were on dead tour. And when you follow the Grateful Dead around and you drink really good beer, apparently. So they turned me on to my first craft beer love. The first craft beer, and like I said back then, we didn't even know what craft beer was. We just called it microbrew, was Samuel Smith Oatmeal Stout, which I will uh. drink to this day. I, in fact, I think he has some over there, so I might have to go grab a bottle next for uh, for for nostalgia because I love that beer, and that's oh, the that's first amazing. thing that kind of like, wow! I don't have to suffer through this beer. I don't have to choke it down. I don't have to hide the flavors by stuffing potato chips in my mouth afterwards. This is a great beer, and for the longest time, I just drank stouts and porters because hey, that's what I acquired a taste for. Mm-hmm. You know, fast forward, um, I moved to Knoxville, uh, mid nineties. Lived in a fort with a bunch of college guys, and we lived right by um, Sam's Party Store, which is the one place in Knoxville back then you could get a decent microbrew. So around the time that New Knoxville was, was popular, um, you know, craft beer was beer beer was starting to come back. It wasn't, you know, after after Prohibition, all of the breweries disappeared and got consolidated into uh, light American lagers. You know, the big guys. Um, and so we would go to Sam's and we would get beer. Uh, a lot of our contemporaries in the fort were college kids. They were getting suitcases of whatever is cheap. We would pull our money together and get a six-pack of something good. Um, whether it was Pete's Wicked Ale, which is no longer around, or 
Sam Smith starts or Sam Smith was like four a four pack for like twenty bucks. But hey, you know. It hasn't come down much. It hasn't come down much. <laughs> but so that's how I kind of got into that and from that I got into brewing. Uh, you live in a in a house in the fort with a bunch of college guys, you're broke. What's the cheapest way we can get good beer? Oh well hell, why don't we just make it? Okay, we'll go and we'll get five gallon buckets and we'll get the ingredients and we'll make a cheap batch of beer. And what was great is we would have four guys and we would make a batch five gallons of beer. We'd make stouts, oatmeal stouts, particularly. I just I remember this to this day. We brew stouts. Well, once you bottle, you've got to wait a couple weeks. You got to wait at least a week until it's carbonated. If you want the flavor profiles to develop, you need to wait a little bit longer. I always knew, hey, when we bottle, I'm gonna stash my beer away for a month before I break one open. My friends, a week later, they're out of their 10 or 15 beers that they got out of that batch. So who are they going to for beer? They're going to me because <laughs> we live in a fort. You got a bunch of college guys bragging to girls that they bring over. Yeah, I brew my own beer. Would you like to try some? They would come to me. They knew I had it. Hey, I told this girl about brewing my own beer. Let me get a couple bottles. I'm like, no, it's my beer. You can't have it. <laughs> come on, man. What's it going to take? What's it going to take? All right, I'll tell you what. Go over to Sam's. Get me a four-pack of Sammy Smith's oatmeal stout. I'll give you two of my home brews. <laughs> And so I would trade my homebrews for like a six-pack here, four-pack here, and then they would be able to play the conquering hero like, yeah, I brewed this, baby. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I got my beer. <laughs> Is that kind of when you realize that you actually like could sell something for a profit maybe? Or <laughs> no, maybe? I was that way in high school. No, I, no, I bought my own car in high school by selling candy well, I got from a like, place in, like Sam's Club. <laughs> As in, as in a beer scene. As, as in beer? Well, I just know. Like, 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 people want flavor. And yeah. I just I just knew if, if they were willing to trade me a four-pack of Sammy Smith's for some stuff that we made in a five-gallon bucket, well, then, yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. That makes sense, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, fast forward, I stayed with it. Um, we all moved out. Uh, that house is demolished, like most of the historic homes in the Fort are gone. Um, and I just stuck with it. Um, brewed and brewed and brewed. Uh, got married. Um me and my wife brewed, then we had a baby. Uh, beer fridge died. Baby running around everywhere. Had to chase him around, this and that and the other. Got out of brewing for a couple years. Um, just because at that point, when the kid came along, I was already in the kegging. I didn't bottle my beer anymore. I kegged it, had it on draft. So when you have a major piece of equipment, like a beer fridge, go dead. And, and then um, you, don't, you have a baby because... And you don't have money, disposable income to go buy a beer fridge because, hey, baby needs diapers, baby needs this. Well, I guess I just won't brew for a while. Fast forward, kids like four or five years old, not stressful, making better money, get back into brewing. Um, and just took off from there and just stuck with it. And brewing had became such a hobby and obsession of mine that I've probably in my lifetime spent more money on homebrew equipment than I've spent on any car I've possibly ever owned. Wow. And of course, now it's you know I sold it all when I went pro, but uh, yeah, that's a long rambling way of saying I like beer. <laughs> <laughs> so you've always been passionate about it. When did you go pro? Or I, I guess a better question would be, how did you how did you get to go pro, so to speak? Did you just apply? Did you go through a school? How did that how did um, that work out? I kind of paid my dues the old school way. I was really into what I was doing. Um, with my homebrew. Uh, it got to the point where I was upgrading my equipment, upgrading my equipment, and all of a sudden I've got like, you know, a Bullockman 55 gallon setup, which is kind of like the Porsche of, of homebrew equipment. Um, you know, I'm brewing 40 gallons at a time with my buddies in my house behind Knoxville. Um, I'm training it around, bringing it around, sharing it with my friends. Everybody's like, wow, this is really good, this is really good, this is really good. And, you know, you're your own worst critic as a brewer, so. I was like, some of the stuff that I didn't think was all that great, people would go nuts over. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Um, but I was doing a beer blog for a while. Um, all this time, I was managing a small law firm in Knoxville. Um, and, you know, when you're dealing with people's divorces all day long, it's kind of miserable. You know, beer's happy thing. Beer's, beer's yeah. like something that brings people together and makes people happy. Mm -hmm. I'm having to deal with couples using their kids as pawns and arguing over basically the change in the couch cushions. And so I ran that. I ran a law firm for five years and was not very happy at it. It showed. Uh, in my spare time, 
I was brewing, I was traveling, I was going to beer festivals, I was writing a, a, a beer blog that became pretty popular. And when I left the law firm, I kind of went from making a whole bunch of money to surviving, you know, and which is was good because at the time when I was working at a law firm, I was throwing away four or five hundred dollars a month on meal order beer, which, you know, in retrospect, it was great. But now I'm like, I kind of live a lot more simply, happy for it. But I left the law firm. I ended up leaving Knoxville to go to Maribel because. Basically, one of the main reasons I left Knoxville is I, at that point, I was really, really looking for a place to put a nano brewery. Mm-hmm. Um, every piece of property that came along, and I wanted to work in within the confines of a certain budget. Um, to do a nano brewery, to do what I wanted to do, which was to start off with my one barrel Blickman equipment and grow organically, you have to have. 80 to 90% of your sales have to be on site. That's the only way you're going to make money at it, and you're not going to get rich. You're going to live comfortably, and you're going to do what you want for a living. If the money comes, then you use it to upgrade. I couldn't find a piece of property. I couldn't find a piece of property that would take, that wasn't going to be less than a quarter million dollars. I had friends that were investors. Uh, one of my best friends is an attorney. Uh, I had friends who are investors, but I didn't want to be into somebody for that kind of money. Um, so every time I found a place, I get excited about it. Oh, look at this place. This is perfect. Oh, there's a church across the street. <laughs> so I've studied the Tennessee beer laws. Like I said, this is more of a... It, beer is kind of a, almost an obsession with me. So I studied the beer laws. I knew what it took zoning-wise to get a place. And I knew the neighborhoods I had to look in to start a brewery. And every neighborhood I looked in the starter brewery, the property was within 300 feet of a church and wow. drove me crazy. So after, you know, combination of leaving a law firm, um, not finding property, well, I'll go look at Maribel. I'll take a job in Maribel. I worked at Blackberry Farms Brewery. That's when I first went, I guess, considered pro. I was an assistant brewer there temporarily. Oh, wow. um, and that was basically home brewing on a, with a license. It was 14 gallons at a time on a... On a uh, um, Oh, not a Blickman system, um, Sabco, which is what what uh, Dogfish had originally started out on a Sabco yeah. system. Okay, that's what um, they get their give their employees to do their competition now. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Sabco system. So, uh, you know, that's when I first my first pro gig. I th- I was um, doing the marketing at Blue Tick Brewery at the same time, and then because of my blog and because of connections I made. Um, I was offered a job as assistant brewer over in Nantahala Brewery in North Carolina, in Bryson City. Um, so I went over there and visited, talked to him, negotiated him with, the, with him about the job. I knew those guys from traveling and visiting them. And they knew about me. I would always bring them home brew. They knew I knew what I was doing. I had a reputation at that time. So I um, talked to him about it. Um, second-guessed myself a lot like do I really want to make a move to North Carolina I really love this area do I really want to move and I have a good friend he's he's now he's one of the first people that came out of South Brew College um, Dr. Todd's program Mm -hmm. Um, Christopher Cota he became the brewer at Blue Tick he's now the head brewer at uh, Holston River up in uh, Bristol Tennessee Mm -hmm. Uh, Chris Cota is an all-around good guy so I'm gonna drink cheers to Chris cheers to Chris cheers to Chris He's got Chris in his name. It's got to be a good one. Right on. Well, when I was contemplating taking this job, and, and my thoughts were, I don't know if I want to move. I don't know. So I talked to Chris about it. I said, hey, you know, because we're hanging out. We're both working at Blue Tick. Here's what's going on. Here's what's being offered to me. And he looks at me. He's like, I've got however many thousand dollars of debt from the South Brewing College to go through that. And you've got this offer to you, which is a lot of dream job. You know, a lot of people go to brewing college coming out making minimum wage cleaning kegs for a couple of years while they work their way up. He's like, put it to me. He kind of put it to me in these terms. Like, you've got this opportunity dropped in your lap. I had to go to school and I have all this student loan debt. And if you don't take this job, you're not just a fool. You're a damn fool. Hmm. I just put my hands up. I was like, you're right. I got to take it. You know, even if it doesn't work out, I got to try it. So I went over there, ended up doing six months, homesick for Knoxville the whole time. Um, and... After six months, realized I kind of wasn't a fit with Bryson City, and, and Bryson City wasn't a fit with me. I'm more of a city kid. I grew up in a, in a metropolitan area. 
moving to a place with a grand population of 1,500 people is kind of a hard thing for me to deal with. I was driving to Asheville every chance I get just so I could be around a place that had more than three restaurants and two stoplights. It was just a culture shock for me. And I went in the winter, which was the worst time to go because oh. there's nothing. Yeah. Nothing. So No tourism or anything. My day consisted of brewing beer, doing whatever in the brewery for, for eight to ten hours a day, and going upstairs and watching Netflix and going to sleep and repeating it. It wasn't a bad experience, but when I left and came back to Knoxville and I realized I had an opportunity, I had another opportunity to go pro in Asheville. Uh, basically, a friend of mine's like offered me what I wanted, a place to have a nano brewery. Um, went looked at the spot, started pricing equipment, doing all of this stuff, doing the paperwork, and got settled in Knoxville while I'm taking care of this. Well, I'm back here for a month, uh, back here for two weeks, and I just realized I know it's going to happen. I love Asheville. Asheville's great. It's a great place for vacation. We all go there all the time because yeah. they have the beer culture. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, we were talking um, yesterday on another program, mm -hmm. baseball, barbecue, and beer. Yep. Yep. Them Thank a you guys. And right I was talking about, I think that's the reason why that Knoxville beer culture has is starting to flourish now because um, people are tired of making that hour and forty five minute trip. <laughs> I mean, people. If anything, it's out of laziness. It <laughs> is no, yeah. and, and and I'm not saying that out of laziness. But, but we've it's, seen what the city has to offer. We see that what they have to offer. And we're like, too. let's have that in Knoxville. Well, I think yeah. Knoxville's always wanted that, but what's held us back in Tennessee in general has held us back has, has been our tax structure and yeah. our laws and some of that is starting to change and, and a lot of legislatures are starting to come around because they realize that they're hemorrhaging tax money to, to the surrounding states but yeah. yeah so I had that opportunity and I knew I, after being in Knoxville because I thought I would only be here six months well we worked on the build out and all this and after a couple of weeks I realized man this is my home yeah. Knoxville's my home I've been here since mid 90s I know everybody here. I have family here. I have a son here. Um, I would go. I would be happy. I would get this brewery running in six months and down the road after this brewery's little nano brewery that I was going to start and Asheville's up and running. I would get homesick. I would want to come back. And so let's just skip that. Let's just settle here and and grow with this scene because I've seen what's coming and yeah, it's great. See what, you see We're in a renaissance. We're in a renaissance right yeah. now. Yeah. We've got a lot of really good brewers and really good guys starting breweries. Um, so what's the um, future look like for Ratchet? Well, you know, hopefully I can position myself for on that guy. If you need a website or need somebody to handle your social media for your brewery, I'm the go-to guy. I'm doing that right now. I'm the social media manager for um, for... Uh, Superfly Fabulous Events, we did Brewbition. Brewbition was kind of my baby. I put a lot of that together. Um, I do travel the southeast with those guys, but I'm also, you know, I've always done marketing. Yet before I worked in a law firm, I worked for um, some record labels. And I used to travel around doing marketing for these record labels. Well, now it's different. Now we have these online tools, Facebook, social, uh, Twitter, Periscope, these things that I'm good with. I don't know, websites, I can do that. So I just want to be settled in and I want to be do what I can to help promote the scene, um, promote Knoxville beer culture because I don't want to leave again. I left. It was fun, but I missed it. I yeah. came back. So the culture here is growing and I want to, I want to be help any way I can. Be on the forefront of that culture. Yeah, everybody in the beer scene here is, is amazing. I mean, we all know each other. It's small. Knoxville's mm -hmm. small. Um, if you don't know someone directly, you know someone who knows them. And there's some exciting things coming down the, the works. By the end of this year, we're going to have at least three or four more breweries up and running by 2016. Mm -hmm. And it's great. I mean, we're sitting here in flow. I remember when this was a doctor's office. This is a cool place you can walk. I mean... We're surrounded in downtown. Like you got lawyers' offices all over the place. Mm -hmm. If I'm a lawyer and I got a stressful day dealing with a bunch of client BS, I'm gonna go across the street, and get me a beer, and then I'm gonna go back to work on my <laughs> lunch break and have like my, my liquid relaxation. You know? <laughs> there you go. So cheers to Brad for seeing the, having the vision to open this spot up, man. This is great. Yeah. Well, um, I love how that you you kind of started traditional, and like I love how you started traditional, and and in the with the home brewing system coming up from the home brewer, the home brewing ranks, basically. So, w w 
what do you think? Um, what's the difference between you and the homebrewing race versus like the South College, which which is a great, great pro- program, and and all the just other these other brew colleges that are probably up. What do you do? You what 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 way do you like best, or what way do you what you think are best? Is it personality, or is it how is it, how how would you like somebody wants to get into brewing right now? What would you if they wanted to get into brewing, I mean, I can only speak from my experience of, of doing it. I and mean, I'm more of a creative, loosey-goosey brewer. Um, most of the people that I know that are pro brewers, even if they didn't um, go to brewing school, a lot of those guys are engineers. Really, really smart. Uh, my buddy Greg, who's the head brewer over at Nantahala, he's an engineer. Now, uh, most of the guys in the homebrew club uh, here in Knoxville are engineers. Um, and it's great and all, but, you know, I got to just come out with my engineer joke. What do engineers use as birth control? Their personalities. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm just, I love those guys, right? They can be so technical Uh, and so into... All my friends that are engineers are listening, we're sorry. Yeah, we didn't mean to offend anybody. But not really. But but not really. I'm just kidding, yeah. (laughs) I'm not sorry. But, but there's some, no. But like, a seriously. Most of the engineers I know are married. Yeah, exactly. There's a way make, of, but make sure you tag Joe Riddle in this, right? <laughs> and that yeah. has its place to be very technical and like try to hit those numbers and this and that and the other. And cleanliness, no matter what. No matter if you're an engineer or you're more loosey goosey, cleanliness is the first thing about brewing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, brewing is basically being a janitor that makes war. We don't make beer, the, the yeast makes beer. Yeah. We make the stuff that the yeast eats and the yeast makes the beer. But. I mean, seriously, there's a way to have that technical knowledge uh, that you get from South College and places like that, but at the same time, you've got to have that hands-on experience. You've got to have that, oh, crap, I messed up this beer. Well, I think that, like, if you look at the Knoxville beer scene, look at all the different beer scenes around, you'll see a lot of, like, dual personalities, like, when you go to these places. You'll see, like, you'll see, like, the person who has the business structure and the, and the, and the almost engineer mind, then you'll have the creative force too. They'll, I mean, because like almost it takes both to run the brewery, and sometimes that's not all on one person. Yeah, yeah. That, and oh, that's, yeah. that that's has to you have to have to give two several uh, separate uh, people to. Uh, you have to have that one person who has the creative th- thinking. Right. Then you have to have someone who able is who's able to harness that. Because yeah. because you can write down your recipes all day long and say. Okay, this grain and this much hops and this many milliliters of, of yeast slurry, that's not going to tell you if it tastes good. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. just going to tell you you can make a technical flawless beer. And you've got to be able to do that. But also at the same time, if you want to grow beyond a regular style, you've got to know like, oh, this flavor goes well with this flavor. Or if I use this grain with these hops and this yeast to give it this flavor. So you've got to have a balance of both to, to, to be successful but also craft beer is a lot about personalities i've seen breweries who have made great beer fail just based on the fact that the people involved in the brewery were not social and, and I've, I've seen really crappy beer yeah sell well and because there's because there's amazing personalities exactly <laughs> exactly it's so, the hometown phenomenon too i mean i've seen i'm not going to name any breweries um but yeah, there exactly. was you know one in blunt county that started up that was horrible at first but they were able to stay alive because everybody wanted to support the home team yeah and mm-hmm. luckily they you know dialed it in and got better but at first you know if, if you're a craft beer guy and you're just traveling into town and you try that beer you're probably not going to go back. But if you're not necessarily in a craft beer scene, and, but it's a new brewery and you want to get in a craft beer scene, you don't know the off flavors yet. You, you want to support that hometown. Yeah. And I'm the kind of guy, I believe every brewery gets, gets a second shot. Because I know how as a brewer, even if you get a different piece of equipment, it takes you a while to dial it in. So if I go to a brewery that just opens up and their beer is horrible, I'm not going to be dissing it. I'm just not going to go back. I'm going to give them six months to hopefully that they dialed it in and figured it out and fixed some of those problems, and then I'm going to go back and give them a second shot. And usually when I do that, it's, it's successful. They fix the problems. And, and, I, and I commend a lot of the different local, local craft breweries um, that are getting ready to open up. I mean, you've seen them a lot around, you've seen them a lot around town doing shares and, and giving their beer away. Oh, and, I know all those guys, and, and, yeah. And taste, tasting their beers 
and and dialing in before they even open up a, a spot. And that's yeah. smart. And that, I think that's very smart because because it's good marketing. Yeah, it's very good marketing. And like and um, like, what was it Crafty Bastard? They had a um, I bought a share a few weeks back at yeah. um, um, a Casual Pint here locally. Just stuff like that is very forward and innovative in the fact that they're getting their beer to the point where they, people will know it before it's even be, can be sold. And that's uh, smart. That's kind it, of like yeah. what I was doing with when I was you know doing the labor work and home brewing um, was just trying to dial in those recipes, find out you know what yeah. people like, what what had to, and because. Like I said, as a brewer, what you brew and what you prefer might not be the most popular thing. My most popular, one of my most popular beers was something I didn't even really like. I made a chocolate-covered cherry stout, and I was like, yeah, it's good. And I gave it out at parties, and and next thing I knew, like, my yeah, phone you had that at a festival. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. Like, yeah, it was a big hit at a festival. Uh, what festival was oh, it? Was a, I think it was one of the Knox Brew Fest. Fest. Yeah, that was yeah. one of the biggest, big, bigger mm. beers of that festival. But yeah, and everybody, and I was like... I, it's good, but I didn't think it was the be-all, end-all. Of, okay. you know? <laughs> well, sure. Of course, yes. of course, we'll we, we, of course, we do. We have we have a beer uh, made in here for us. <laughs> Since yeah, we so talked about it, I'll take it. Uh, oatmeal stouts. Yep. Uh, take a high five. I'm going to go with the oatmeal stout as well. Right on. But, but, um, too. Got it. Um, one of the questions I was wanting to ask you is because you've brewed on the the the. Small homebrew systems, and you brewed on at a halo system, which I've seen that, which is both are. I mean, that's like night and day, of course. Yeah. Um, um, how have you translate your style from a homebrewing system to a big system? Like, how have how have you reeled that in and and changed those flavors? Because, um, and you have won an award, didn't you not? Yeah, yeah, I've won a, I've won uh, some awards, but. There's a big difference. Okay, most of the most of the craft beer breweries are are going to have what's called a pilot system. Yeah. Which is a small. That's where you make your test batches. That's where you make the stuff that. Okay, I make a beer that is incredibly popular. My my fall seasonal is a butternut squash ale. To replicate that on a scale any bigger than one barrel, on you know for the non beer geeks out there, a barrel is thirty one gallons. To replicate that on it's prohibitively expensive. Um, my first collaboration beer outside of Nana Hala that was in the works, we planned it out, or we talked about it for two years before we finally pulled the trigger, was with Asheville Brewing Company. Um, I knew I know the owner of Asheville Brewing Company, uh, Mike, and he loves that beer. But I knew at the same time, if we're brewing seven barrels of this, it's going to be prohibitively expensive. Not not only prohibitively expensive, but time-consuming to process the squash to make a batch of beer that big. So instead, we went through my recipe book, and we sat down. I sat down with Doug, the the uh, Doug and um, Pete, the main brewers at Asheville, and we went through my recipe book, and I pulled out some stuff, and we ended up ultimately making the uh, strawberry uh, using the the idea of this chocolate covered strawberry and added vanilla, and making a, a Neapolitan nitro stout. Yeah. That was you know when I looked and. It was awesome, and when I looked at their stats and Untapped, it was one of the highest rated beers that that's ever come out of Asheville Brewing Company. And for me, that's saying a lot because I love those guys. Like I've been preaching the gospel of their Ninja Porter for years. Do they, do they make the uh, make a habanero? Yeah, yeah. Fire escape. Right, and they fire just escape. started canning yeah. and bottling it. Oh my gosh! It, it's it's it's. And that was a happy accident too, according to them. So. Yeah, that that, that that was one of those beers. It's like it was a, it was a surprise. Yeah, yeah, the nut, the nut brown is fine. We're, we're deciding beers here. Is he out of <laughs> He's got one for you. Oh, okay. He's got the, the oatmeal stout for you. Okay, cool. You got the oatmeal, oatmeal for me. Nut, nut brown will be fine. Yeah. 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 But, um, but that, exactly. That, that, that was one of those beers, like, you get it, and you're like, you don't think you'll like it, and you'll have it first up, and you'll, it hits you, and you're like, well, but then all of a sudden you drink it again, you're like, oh, it gets a little better. It's a little better, like, every sip. Right. So... But but yeah, to get back to your question, yeah. it's, there's a difference. Um, when you're brewing on a homebrew level and then you're brewing on a bigger level, there's difference in population rates. There's different in the amount of yeast you have to pitch. There's a lot of difference. So scaling up, um, scaling up a batch is a lot different. Um, and you've got to take those when you're making. Bigger, uh, uh, beer on bigger systems, you've got to take into consideration your 
uh, material cost and your processing time. Like, we would have tied up if we wanted to make a butternut squash ale the way I make it on on at uh, on a seven barrel system. You're tying up their pizza ovens for like three days, processing the squash and their kitchen staff, and plus the cost involved and. You know, so there's stuff that you can do on a smaller batch that you necessarily can't do on a bigger system unless you got more money than, you know, you know what to do with. Um, I've learned a lot of secrets in the brewing industry. Um, most of those fruit beers that you're getting coming from any brewery over 10 barrels, that's probably extract. That's probably not fresh fruit being dumped in there because at that point it starts getting in the cost. Um, a lot of uh, breweries, especially some of the famous West Coast ones, I won't name any names, but uh, some of the most popular West Coast IPAs are not being used with whole hops. They're using hop extracts. Really? Because um, you get more bang for the buck that way. Um, and these are all kind of like industry secrets, but they're not really secrets if you're in the industry. You you, you hang out with other brewers and you well, find out these things. That's what, like, um, I know... Um, Sierra Nevada, they have advertised in the owner tours and stuff, and it's whole cone hops. And that's a big thing. It's going to get that flavor. And they have the buying power to be able to do that. And I've heard that they're going to help leverage that buying power for the entire actual community, too. Yeah, it's, that's. Um, I don't know how much of that I'm supposed to talk about or how much of that is supposed to be public, but yeah, uh, yeah there is a, a program <laughs> in place to help out. Uh, Sierra Nevada, when they came in, to Asheville everybody was scared everybody's like oh crap there's these big guys coming in and they sat down right away and alleviated with the Asheville Brewing Alliance and, and alleviated all their fears and said here's what we're going to offer you we're not coming in here to take over we're coming in here because you have a great craft beer culture and we want to help you we're going to build a railroad spur and bring in grains by, by the, from our suppliers up in uh, Canada so you can get and then we'll work on a program to get those grains to you at, at cost Wow. Um, they have a lab. A lot of these little brewers, breweries, they don't have labs. So if you want to check out your yeast, see how your yeast is changing after a couple batches, because rule of thumb, and this isn't for everybody, but rule of thumb is most brewers that I've been, I've known, they'll only use their yeast about seven generations because they think they'll start mutating after a while. Well, you, all of a sudden you got access to a lab and you can check that out and see if that's occurring. That's a big thing. Wow. You know, they've got resources and they wanted to share them and that's why they were welcomed with open arms into the actual beer, brewing community. Same thing with Oscar Blues, same thing with um with uh oh gosh, uh New Belgium. Yeah. Mm -hmm. New Belgium's like, hey, we want to build on this river and we understand how important the water is, so how about we spend thirty million dollars on buying these polluting companies upstream and relocating them so we can have cleaner water. That's and the actual brewing community's like, Well yeah. Come on. Yeah. So we're not going to get that in this area until our legislatures change our beer laws and our tax structure. As you can, you guys remember when Sierra Nevada was looking outside of uh, um, well, I mean, Blount I, County. I, yeah. And it wasn't the water. Everybody yeah, said it was yeah, the water saying, rumor. Yeah, yeah that, was the, that was the big ploy of is what I've heard is it was the water. And yeah. no, that was a rumor. Because think about it. Those guys have, a, they have more money. They have... Sierra Nevada has the biggest privately owned solar plant in North America at their Chico plant. Yeah. Um, they've got money. They can take rainwater and make it match the water in Dusseldorf, Germany. I mean, they have that technology and know how to do it. It wasn't the water. It was the tax structure. Wow. And, and, you know, there was this big push by the Blunt Chamber of Commerce to get stone in the town. And they, you know, you can write all the folk, folksy rock songs you want, but... A business like that is not going to come to your area unless you can offer them an economic advantage. Yeah. And when Sierra Nevada was coming to town, we see a lot of the same reps at brew festivals and stuff. And I would talk to him. And so, hey, what's going on? Is this going to happen? He's like, listen, it's great. We would love to be able to come to an area like this. But the reality is we can't sell three of our flagships next to three of our uh, seasonals because the, the alcohol laws are so different in the state. So it doesn't make a lot of sense for us to come in. And then this was like, you know, back when this was officially not on the books, like, don't tell anybody, but yeah, we're not coming. Mm. And while everybody was still keeping hope alive. So until the state, until the changes are in place, we're not going to see that. But we're going to benefit from Asheville because we're so close now. White Labs is over there. 
as a brewer, as a professional brewer, if you wanted to order yeast from White Labs, you had to get it shipped from the West Coast. You're waiting, and then if it comes on the weekend, and you're waiting an extra couple of days. Now, if like you're really hard up, once White Labs is up and running with their uh, the however million dollars they're investing in their plant, worst case scenario is like, oh crap, I gotta drive to Asheville to pick up the yeast, this yeast because for whatever reason, and then drive. You know, you got a refrigerator yeah. where your yeast goes dead. You you go to work the next morning, you're gonna brew. Okay, you guys brew this. By the time you're pitching the yeast, I'll be back from Asheville with the yeast. That's a good That's thing. Awesome. So the actual community is bleeding over in this area, and it's going to help our community and the Knoxville beer scene grow and thrive. But what's really going to help us grow and th- thrive is when the state finally makes the necessary changes to help the craft beer industry. I, mean, I know they they're raising the beer cap the the beer cap to ten what ten point two in yeah. two thousand seventeen. Oh, which will help a lot. And will help a lot. It, it's a start. It's, it's a start, mm-hmm. but it's also like you got to look at. Who has the power when it comes to alcohol in the state? Jack Daniels. Yeah. The liquor lobby. So the liquor lobby wrote those laws. You notice right away they were able to sell chasers and stuff like that in the liquor stores. They were able to sell low grab in the liquor stores. They had a year and a half head start before you can get a high grab beer at the grocery stores because they wrote the law. Um, And, you know, it was a change. It's a good change. Uh, But... They're, the the lobbyist the the liquor lobby has the ability to um, has the power and ability that the state beer lobby does not have yet. So until the state beer lobby gets that kind of clout, it's going to be a while before. I mean, we've got some changes coming, but to really change things, it's going to take a lot more. Politics are always a crazy thing. My, yeah. My dad actually works a little bit in politics, and he's been on the state legislature floor and some other stuff in the past, and um, ironically lobbying for a local company, I won't say who, but um, but yeah, just it's been fascinating to hear his perspective on it, just being shocked by how much business really runs politics in that respect. I mean, in, in, the, in the craft beer industry, and in the beer industry and alcohol industry, I mean, business runs it. Then you get the, the was it, in the... MB, MBC Miller uh, tours. Yeah, they were pretty much until I mean now with it with the Brewers Association and stuff like that are are starting to get where they can help dictate laws and and the whole support local communities are is coming up or is it trend is taking hold is is really helping local breweries and stuff like that and mm-hmm. and it's almost it's getting to the point where. If you're not helping out the local man, it's and you're a politician, you look almost look down upon, and it might hurt you in some ways to take the. You're not going to take the the, the lobby, the, maybe the money or the whatever from the the big major major corporation, but you're going to take a hit on the votes if you don't start helping the helping the little man. Yeah. So that's that, that's one of the good the swings with the rising craft beer. Because the rising craft beer is you're, it's, it's you're helping the little guy. It's up, and everything's so regionally based now, and it is. It, the more you help out the local craft brewer, hopefully, and, and the brewers association, people like that, lobbying for us and lobbying for the local craft brewer, it's going the laws will get better. Hopefully, down the road, and, and they will because the whole culture is changing. I mean, society's culture is changing. Changing. I mean, look what you can get. At almost any place in on the streets of Denver now. I mean, society yeah. is changing. Yeah. You know, twenty years ago, these states wouldn't have. You know, there was no discussion about, no even thought that you know same sex people would be able to get married. This is like, you know, society is changing and craft beer culture is is growing, and so it's just a matter of time. But for us beer geeks, we're like, we want it to happen now. We yeah, want our yeah, yeah exactly. And, we, we we want our yeah. The, we, we want like and also I, I'm like I don't I don't want to duplicate uh, Asheville's beer culture here in Knoxville. Because no, we have our own. Yeah, I yeah. want to have our own. Yeah. The thing that is, I want to our to the ability to have our own. Yeah. Yeah. And the thing that is, right now with the laws and tax structure the way it is, we don't have the ability to have our own. It's changing as as it goes. It's getting slowly getting better. But I think I think it, it's going to take those the, um, as the crappier culture goes. It's going to take us to grow it 
then when we when we grow it, it's going to it, it, people will realize that that this is something that's viable and it's not going to go away, and we can go and we can. Um, Make it something our own. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it, it is growing here in Knoxville, and we've got some big things coming up. And I think, I think that's something that we should probably talk about. Like, who are we excited about? I'm excited about everybody opening up, honestly. Yeah. But like, what are things? Some of the things that you guys heard? Because I know there's some big, some there's some breweries getting ready to open their door soon, and I'm I'm very excited about. That. I mean, I've, I mean, I've heard <laughs> I've heard some rumors. There's some hearing uh, lots of interesting rumors. I mean, I've, I've heard some. I mean, there's we got some people friends down the street that are getting ready to open it up. Uh huh. I'm, I'm heard heard about some um, some maybe some sauerkraut hanging up soon coming soon. <laughs> Um, there's there's alliance. There's only an alliance. They're going to be opening eventually. Like, I don't like see that. The thing of it is, I'm like I know stuff, but I don't want to tell stuff because like, yes. next thing I know, I'm like, why well, are you telling stuff? Spill the beans. Spill the beans, spill, spill the beans, beans on podcast. Let us know. Oh, I don't know if I was. No, yeah. they, they've been advertising for a while. Alliance. That's, yeah. Oh yeah, alliance they, has been advertising for a while, and, and, and I think we can say them July, safely. And, and we we talked about them on their first podcast. Yeah, and we're hoping to hope. Like we, when they're officially open in hopefully July, uh, August, March, April, May, September, June. When they're officially open. <laughs> they're, closer, they're closer. They they were. They're closer now than they yeah, were five years give, ago. There's, there's, there's <laughs> there no definite. Go. There's no definite date. It's just, hey, whenever when it happens, it happens. When it happens, when it happens but it happens. will happen. Yes. Well, with a lot of the breweries around that. town, um, Grafty Bastard, um, yeah. a lot of the guys. When it happens, it happens. But the thing is, we don't. Want to push these people, we want them to have it and nurture it and make it a good product. Yeah, and I mean, there's just a lot of good things. Um, 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 Pretentious Glass Company. Oh yeah, yeah, them great things, road. awesome. Uh, um, and hope to have him on soon one day. Oh yeah, sure. So I mean, just a lot of the great things we're having in this culture that are are that are kind of mirroring. Asheville would take it, but the Knoxville twist to it. Yeah, it's it's definitely not, definitely not Asheville in the sense that um, I don't know. It's just a little bit of a different culture. We're not quite as hipster, um, <laughs> you know, and, and things like that. But yeah, I, I think that I don't know. For me, just to answer your question, I think Alliance is probably the one I'm most excited about. Um, and there's there's probably a few others I'm really intrigued about, but don't know as much about yet. Yeah. But hopefully we'll be interviewing these people yeah. over the coming months as well. And I think what we're doing. Um, Docsville Brewfest, and we we've, we've oh yeah, we, can't we, wait for Brewfest. Can't wait. We we we've really pumped them up big yeah. time. So. Um, I hope all our pumping up lives up to the expectations. I know it will. It will. Oh, they will. It's Brewfest. It's Brewfest. Yeah. Yeah. But I think we're going to see a lot um, from um, Knoxville and Tennessee breweries in Brewfest, and, I, and and you've seen a lot of the different advertisements on Facebook and Twitter from Brewfest. They're really they've really pumped Tennessee breweries, which is something that I really really proud of that they're really they focus on Tennessee breweries, and it's just great to be a part of. Don't get don't get me wrong, I, I love when you go to Brewfest and you see all the different breweries from around the world and southeast and. In, in all the regions, but I like how they got West Six on their yeah. website. Yeah, West Six. Oh, really? yeah. oh they did. Yeah, it's yeah. West Six is part of. Yeah. It. Yeah, so. <laughs> Sorry, I, I am a huge fan of West Six. I, I lived I in Lexington. Podcast, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'm probably said it about every podcast. Um, I definitely the past two, but yeah, no, I lived in Lexington for a while, so it's just but it's it is, been a, like like you was saying. It is good to see the the them pushing the local guys too, so. <laughs> DJ, this is the one awkward thing about live podcasts. Well, um, podcast. well, we're, we're gonna. That's we're probably gonna, a good thing. <laughs> we're gonna take a little bit of a, a break, um, refresh our beers, and we'll be back here here in a minute. But yeah. it's yeah, we'll be back. Thanks, DJ. <laughs> Okay, and we are back um, with the podcast. We are live on, um, let's see here, we're live on Periscope, and yeah, and so we got DJ with us, we got Ratchet, who's also live on Periscope, and we got Brad, the owner of Flow Brew Parlor, who's um, gratefully hosting us here today. 
Um, so with that said, Brad has made us some drinks. As you can tell, we've um, we've we've already been a little bit um, eager to go ahead and get the um, get the beverages out of the way. But we're gonna talk with him about some incredible beer, coffee pairing, coffee creations he's made. So, Brad, if you will, um, just just tell us about this first beer. Um, what this is and how, how you made it what it is so basically this is what we call a porter latte and what we've done is reduced the terrapin liquid bliss porter which is now a full year offering it once was a seasonal offering um, so that enables us to do this year year round we reduce it into a syrup and and pair it with cruise farm to make a delicious latte oh nice nice so so it's liquid bliss Cruise Farm. Yep. Oh wow. And Counterculture Forty Six Roast Coffee. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's that's an incredible combination. Period. Yeah. And by themselves, they're amazing. But that's yeah. awesome. So we found that you know the the peanut butter and chocolate flavors of Liquid Bliss remain, even though we've cooked off the alcohol. So it smells like beer and tastes like the beer, but it's a latte. You can yeah. have anytime nice. you want. Awesome. Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, it just shows you the extent of what, what you can do with craft beer and craft beer cultures right mm-hmm. there. Yeah. Like, the, the different facets of what uh, things you can do. You, you can make a latte. It's mm-hmm. not. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So, that's that's the first one. And then this other one's called the Double Buzz. Yeah. Double Buzz is basically the, the Liquid Bliss Porter Latte poured in the schooner. And then add we add uh, two shots of Counterculture 46 Roast Espresso to it. Nice. And... It adds a lot of uh, decadence to a liquid bliss. It does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to have some right now. <laughs> it's definitely that double double buzz. I love it. And, and, the, it. and the glass just makes you feel even more like uh-huh. substantial and regal. Like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> love it. Yeah, that is that is fantastic. We're just trying to have fun with it and mm-hmm. do great things with craft beer because um, it's art. Craft beer is art. Coffee is art. That's why we have art on the walls and not a big menu. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is this is definitely fantastic. And as always, thank, thank you for hosting us. Yeah, this is been great. Thanks for us. Us. Yeah. We hopefully one day we'll, we'll, when we get a show just with you. Mm-hmm. But this is a good spot for us, uh, especially on Sunday afternoons, to or maybe a, on when you guys do a first Friday, we'll come back and mm-hmm. you guys do. Um, uh, bring your own vinyl on Thursdays yep. and all kinds of different events throughout That's the right. week and just um, at Flow Brew Parlor on uh, Twitter and then Flow Brew Parlor on, on Facebook and stuff just um, anything else you want to add or anything um, thanks for pushing forward the beer uh, culture here mm-hmm. so cheers to all of you and um, yeah yeah cheers cheers, yeah, cheers. <laughs> it's fun as a business, as a business owner, I'm, I'm glad that you really pushed the um, the art aspect of um, craft beer and, and 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 coffee. I mean, that's that's just something that I love that that you're you would do that in a in a, in a way that's very appeasing to a lot of different people, and and you kind of kind of hone in a lot of people's creativity. You have a creativity, and, it, and you, this 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 space is very like a creative space, and. I like the way that you're approaching your business. It's really nice. Mm-hmm. Thank you, DJ. Mm-hmm. It's something that. that downtown has needed for a long, long, long time. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. Well, we're trying to add some value to this particular area of downtown. You know, it's it's often forgotten, but um, you know, Unless the you people have to go that to court down the road. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if you, if you got a parking ticket and you need a beer afterwards. This is the place to go, right? Yeah. Which, which after going to, to court, court for parking, <laughs> <laughs> probably going to want a beer. Period. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, yeah. you probably took the day off work anyway. Yeah, right. Yeah. Exactly. So you took the day off work and you had to find the find, get a parking spot for, for court. Guess what? There's a place to get a beer and a cup of coffee or a double buzz mm-hmm. right there. So yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah, and then I actually came in um, for the first time a couple weeks ago because I had a meeting with a customer in the Make of America building. And um, it worked out really well. Um, awesome. That was the first time I had your Americano, and holy crap, really good. Really awesome. Good. Thanks so, for coming in. So, yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Thanks Thanks for having me, for sure. So, cool. Um, well, with that said, I guess we are on to, um, on to kind of wrapping it up. Wrap Jay, um, I guess we'll talk about, you know, where, where you can... Find us online. Find us in the podcast. We're um, now on um, at Humble Beer Pod. 
on Twitter now. I'm, I'm yes. Um, new uh, as of the last time we created yeah, the podcast. We, we, we thought originally we thought we went we were going to go with each other's personalities on Twitter, but we thought that we could bond it. And you'll th- see some. Uh, I'm trying to post just um, local, regional um, stuff. I mean, try to. Anybody they would get on there and, just, and want to talk craft beer. He's also running Knox Beer Life, but he I am good. not running Knox Beer Life. <laughs> He's in so, denial. So. If it, by, by the way, if I was, I would so be if, like proud of it. Yeah, if anybody had, if, on if anybody has any like any any insight, insight on Knox Beer Life, we'd really like know. to know. We'd really like we'll, to know. We'll bring them on the on the on the podcast with like a fake voice. One of those quarters or something. <laughs> they can even wear a mask in the in the sky. I, I've, got, exactly. I've got plenty of costumes exactly. for that, so yeah, I can exactly. make that happen. Like, he can give you a tr- like, Chris can give you a trunk of costumes. You can sit here and dress like a dragon. Yeah. And do the podcast if you want to. They're gonna send you an email now, like leave the dragon costume in a plastic bag. Over. We will. <laughs> plastic bag in the float restroom. At three o'clock. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. <laughs> so, but um, at DJ Loop on Twitter, at uh, Humble Beer Pod on Twitter, at at Ecrosopolis on Twitter. Your name is way too hard to pronounce. Uh, it's it's so funny because it's like I, I thought. Well, you know, I'll only use it in email. It'll be on Twitter. People will use it online, so they'll just click reply when they want to talk. But yeah. I, I use it so much now. People are like, "Dude, I can't remember, remember it." Yeah. I'm sorry, guys. Get to tell them that and you can't get them on the. You can get the humble beer cast and on uh, on iTunes, right? Because I downloaded it, put it on my phone. Yeah, it's on it's on iTunes. And listened to it when I drove to Asheville the other day. So yes. Yeah. Always. Um, yeah, so, so and then, of course, you know, always, as always, we want to thank Flo, Brew Parlor, Brad. Yeah. I know we thanked you like five times already, well, but thank you. Thanks thanks again for having us out here hosting and, us uh, today. Any, any final words from Ratchet? Um, no, just keep the beer culture alive here in Knoxville. We've got a lot of exciting things coming up, and, um, you know, I'm just glad to be part of it. I'm glad that uh, you guys are doing this podcast. It's uh, it's. A exciting time to be here in Knoxville and enjoying our, our craft beer culture. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and as always, you know, our podcast, um, the theme song is produced by Kelsey's Woods. DJ, where can we find them online again? And Kelsey's Woods at, on, at Kelsey's Woods on Twitter, Kelsey's Woods on Facebook. I think they're, they got some shows coming up around town at the Jig and Reel and um, I think in, uh, in, in middle of June in, in Maryville. and they're really really cool guys. They're too. really they're really awesome. cool guys. Uh, working awesome in the beer industry, at least. Uh, beer, yeah, Russ, Russ does. Russ does. So just um, find Kelsey's Woods. They're the ones who are leading us into this, and they're real good people and real good music that are made from the heart. So check them out. All righty. Cheers. 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 Oops. Cheers and beers and and happy podcasting. Bottom of a bottle and I ain't gonna change my way